Hello and welcome. This is the 12th episode of the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I am your host, Armin Grigic, and today I have a very special guest from Picnic. Uh, this is Daniel Gabler. Have I said it correctly? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he is CTO at uh, Picnic, and uh, you guys are an uh, online supermarket. Or, I, or, or am I cutting it short there if I say online supermarket? Thanks. Uh, great to be here. Yeah. So indeed, uh, I'm Daniel, CTO of Picnic, and we have a very simple mission. Make grocery shopping simple, fun, and affordable. Cool. So indeed, we are a supermarket as a consumer proposition, but behind the scenes, we are probably more a tech company than uh, actually a traditional supermarket. Yeah, I think so too. So I'd uh, like to start off about uh, yourself. So how did you get uh, started in tech and how did it come about to get to Picnic? Yes, so my story is uh, pretty simple. So I studied computer science uh, first in Germany, uh, then was also a little bit in UK and ended up in Amsterdam to do my PhD at the uh, CWI and the VU Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So that was a great time. Uh, PhD in theoretical computer science. Um, um, little practical applications, but a lot of fun at the university side. And then uh, I uh, met the founders of a Picnic. Uh, I have been with Sam already in an earlier startup called Fredober, mm. then met him again, and then uh, we started in uh, 2014 uh, to think a bit about what could be a logical next step, and then we thought about the picnics that you know now. Okay, cool. And uh, so from your background, so how what was interesting to you about techn technolo technology and stuff like that? So. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I'm interested in two things. Number one is uh, building software. So that's a computer science part. And I'm also interested in business. So that's the reason why I did also an MBA. So bringing both together makes you actually ending up in e-commerce. And um, uh, then uh, we looked a bit into e-commerce op options. So we saw, and this is more or less the starting point of Picnic, what we uh, saw is that everybody is already shopping pretty actively in non-food categories. So everybody is buying electronics yeah. and uh, fashion and uh, books already online, while nobody is actually buying food online. Mm. So if you look to the market, then uh, the kind of the food market is the same size as the non-food market. However, just one and a half percent of food is online, while if you look to non-food, then uh, for electronics and for fashion already more than 30 percent is online yeah so uh looking at things like um uh washing machines and stuff like that it's it's pretty normal for people to already uh, order that so it's it's weird why do you think that uh, people are not doing it for grocery shopping yet yet that is exactly the same question that we ask ourselves also uh, mm. because there is a pretty big market actually uh, doing groceries is not too sexy uh so therefore you would expect that this kind of uh Shopping would be also done online. But we identified three main reasons why people have been not doing uh, shopping for food online. So first is that you had to pay for the deliveries. Mm. So that means uh, you don't have price uh, parity with respect to the offline variant. That is something what we have seen in another market before, for instance, in the fashion industry, mm. which pre-Zalando, everybody had to pay for deliveries. That was a time Normal, where yeah. nobody was actually doing fashion. Now, uh, if you don't pay for deliveries and returns, then everybody likes to do with also fashion online. So number one, uh, price parity. Number two is actually, um, is actually it has been pretty cumbersome. And the reason for this is that um, everybody took the online app or the online proposition from non-food. So that means a shopping app for electronics also to the uh, also to the food market. Okay. So therefore, uh, you had an interface which was suitable to shop for three items. That's typically what you buy for electronics. And then you try to actually shop with this interface for 30 items. Doesn't work. Mm. Um, and the third one is um, actually nobody wants to wait. So if you buy electronics, then it's pretty okay if somebody tells you, well, nice deliver in the morning or in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, but if you actually shop for food then and somebody tells you, well, we will deliver between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., then you actually have two options. If somebody delivers at 4 p.m., you can use it for dinner. If it's mm. 8 p.m., you can't use it for dinner. Yeah. So this is for food just not good enough. Mm. So this have been a kind of the three points uh, that made more or less the market not really uh, get started. And we tackle with Picnic actually all three points. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's also what you try to provide, right? So it's it's actually the the grocery shopping made easier and also uh, faster than what, what current uh, other providers are, are doing, right? 
Exactly. So yeah. uh, our proposition is that we make a next day delivery model where you can shop at lowest price free delivery. So you don't mm. have to pay for deliveries. And uh, the delivery window that we have is 20 minutes. So that means we will tell you that we will deliver between uh, 6 and 6.20. And then our driver will be uh, probably at 6.10 or uh, 6.15 at your doorstep. Okay. And uh, does it also include... So I can imagine that a lot of people want to have it uh, during the day, right? So, um, do you also look at things like delivering at night or something like that? So, what we have is uh, we deliver at every day to mm -hmm. a customer, and we deliver at different uh, at different moments. So that can be uh, that you have on Monday a moment where we deliver at three o'clock, and uh, Tuesday we will deliver at five o'clock, and at uh, Wednesday at seven o'clock. Mm. So every day you have one delivery moment. And there's a reason why we actually uh, have one delivery moment per day. We have looked to other delivery models, and what we saw is if you have many delivery mo uh, moments per day, for instance, uh, for each customer, 10, 12, 15 delivery moments, then customers will pick very randomly the delivery moments. And mm. then you get a distribution where you actually drive with your vehicles uh, at 10 o'clock uh, to the eastern part of the city, at 10.20 you will be in the western part of the city, at 10.30 mm. in the south and 10.40 in the north. You can't make so you, it. So you can go more like a like a taxi, a taxi uh, go crisscross through the city, have very long drop times and that makes your uh, distribution very inefficient. Mm. That's the reason why you actually have to pay for this with this kind of delivery models. What we said is, well, let's think about uh, how we can make this a little bit more efficient, a little bit smarter and we actually uh, looked back to a uh, traditional model, which we, is the Milkman. So the Milkman uh, yeah, in the yeah. uh, uh, Netherlands. <laughs> so this model has actually worked pretty well in the 60s and 70s, where like a bus, the Milkman uh, was going uh, through, the, uh, through the different uh, cities and was delivering um, uh, the groceries to the customers. And everybody loved him. And supermarkets uh, more or less uh, competed him away. But uh, we are re-implementing this model now uh, with Picnic as the Milkman 2.0. Yeah, because you know, uh, for, for, uh, for example, when you had the Milkman, you know it's going to be around this time, right? So it, it's always the same. It's always like, okay, it will be at, I don't know, 10 in the morning or something like that, right? Exactly. And that's, that's what you're trying to do with this, uh, this model as well, is to, uh, well, it, it makes it easier to plan, right? It makes it easier to yep. plan uh, f for the drivers as well to know, okay, I'm going to go this, and this, and this, and this at these times, right? It makes it easier for the drivers to plan. It makes it also easier to actually uh, ensure that you customers see the same driver uh, every, every time when they are uh, ordering with Picnic. It makes it also easier for customers so that they can actually plan uh, according to their daily rhythm, um, when we will deliver uh, to their homes. Yeah, and uh, could, could you explain about how you go through the process as a client? So, for example, I'm, uh, I'm going to order at, uh, at you guys. Uh, what happens after that? So what happens if I when I click OK Order? Yes. So you as a customer uh, will place the order over a shopping app. So we have um, everything what you do is over a mobile app, both okay. for iOS and Android. So what you do here is uh, you look for the products that you love. Uh, at some point, you press a button and then uh, more or less the engine on our back end uh, gets into play. Uh, so until 10 o'clock, you can place the order. After 10 o'clock, we are making all the plannings that has to happen. So the first planning is the logistical planning where we are uh, looking into at which point in time we will be at exactly at your household. So we are making the route planning. So the second step is then we are planning at which toad goes into which vehicle and then we make the backwards planning. When do we need to actually uh, deliver um, the tote or this kind of uh, groceries from our warehouse to the hub and then we make uh, the backwards planning from the uh, fulfillment center to uh, our suppliers and then we order the products with our suppliers mm. and um, I'm just thinking about what, what happens when uh, so you do the planning uh, is that kind of automated or is it like really still a manual process in the sense that you need to plan okay uh, these uh, addresses go first and these go after that or uh, no, how does that work that's a, that's a fully automated process so yeah. in essence uh, if you just think about if you have a couple of uh, tens of thousands uh, of customers uh, then uh, there's no way that you ever can do, do uh, this kind of planning manually it goes even a step further um, this kind of planning is actually also not possible to compute in exact terms uh, yeah, with computers. So this is a very traditional uh, route planning uh, problem called the Travelman Salesman problem, 
This is famous in computer science because uh, that is a very, very hot problem, which is uh, scaling exponentially. So in simple terms, this means that uh, if the problem becomes bigger, so that means if you have more orders to deliver, then you can't compute this any longer exactly, even if you have a large number of computers and you need to uh, actually apply heuristics. Mm. So that's the reason why we also have a lot of uh, analysts um, from Delft that have actually uh, tweaked our heuristics to make the heuristic as precise as possible and still computing as fast as possible so that we can make the planning in the evening and that we can deliver the next day to the customer. Yeah, and uh, how does it work? Because do you have like multiple warehouses where, the, where uh, for example, the drivers get their stuff or how, how does that yeah. work? So the logistics itself, if you look to the flow of goods, then actually um, we have warehouses and we have hubs in the cities. Mm -hmm. So from the uh, warehouses, um, the products get actually collected together uh, where in the morning, Big trade units go in into the warehouse and then uh, order pickers will uh, put together the orders that customers are ordering. Then you have totes where you have these uh, specific customer orders. This goes all together in a big truck that goes from the warehouse to the hubs. Mm -hmm. And in the hub itself, there is a pretty efficient process in less than half an hour. The orders from the big hub get actually dispatched in our small electrical vehicles. Mm -hmm. And then the electrical vehicles make their small bus around uh, from the hubs to the customers yeah and the the people that are driving for you how, how do how do they work for you is that is that someone that's actually working for picnic themselves or is it someone that you kind of hire or whatever yeah so um so the drivers that um we are run uh, we are calling some runners mm -hmm. are working partially for us uh, partially as they are coming from an agency uh, that depends a little bit on the city where we are operating or the uh, areas where we are currently active in. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they essentially just get uh, that kind of. Uh, how do you call that bus? So the yes, bus. this is the electric vehicle. So yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. So the electric vehicle that we are using. So what we do here is a process where we do an upfront planning of two weeks ahead. Okay. Where we uh, share uh, actually our expected a number of shifts and of uh, trips that we have let's say two weeks ahead uh, on a monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday mm -hmm. then um, the runners can actually share their availability on uh, those specific days with us uh, then we make a pre-allocation and then on the specific night before when we know the actual trips then we will tell the runners uh, if they can drive on the day or not yeah and uh, i think that the, the so do they actually give out um, a specific area that they want to work in or is it at random? Because you told, you just said uh, that they, or as a client, you'll probably see the same driver every time you order. Yeah. So what we have is, so our distribution model is a pretty local or local-based model. So we have are active now in 60 cities in Netherlands. Mm -hmm. The 60 cities are actually delivered uh, or we deliver in the 60 cities from 20, a little bit more than 20 hubs. So these are the kind of the distribution centers or the small distribution hubs in the cities themselves. Every runner uh, registers their availability in a specific hub. So yeah, that means yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, the trip starts in a hub and ends in a hub. And uh, what he says is that uh, next week, Wednesday, he is available for the shift one and two. And on Friday, he can do a shift three in uh, the hub of, let's say, Utrecht or uh, any other hub. Mm, that's interesting because that that would be, uh, in my opinion, when I think about it, that would be the hardest thing to do, right? So the uh, actually getting the goods from your hub in this case to uh, someone's doorstep, right? <laughs> so that's 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 of course there is a whole logistics part before that as well, but uh, getting uh, enough people to get uh, to get around that's that's that sounds like the biggest. Uh, well. This is definitely a people challenge on both sides, yeah. both on the warehousing side and also on the distribution side. So if you look now to Picnic, um, as of now in uh, in October 2018, we have um, around 1,000 uh, order pickers in the warehouses and around 1,000 uh, runners. So these are the drivers of our cars uh, currently on the road uh, in the different uh in the different cities. Yeah. So in total, we have around a little bit more than 600, 650, 660 uh, cars. Mm. And we have around 1,000 uh, runners that are uh, available to drive the cars. That's crazy because you guys started out in, it was like 2015, right? Something like Correct. that. Yeah. So it, it's still very much viewed as a startup picnic, I think. Uh, do you see it like that as well? Absolutely. So it is a startup. Yeah. Uh, so we are probably, we, we borrow here uh, a phrase from Amazon. Uh, so for us, in the same way as for Amazon, it's also every day is day one. Mm. So in this respect, um, what we do is obviously there are 
there are a couple of components that are repetitive. So if we are opening a new city uh, or a new hub, then uh, after 20 hubs, uh, then there is a kind of a pattern that you can follow. In the same way, we have also opened this week uh, our fifth uh, warehouse or fulfillment center. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. In, uh, in Rotterdam. So there's obviously also a, some form of uh, pattern or template that we can apply again. Nonetheless, uh, in every kind of a new operation, in every kind of scaling operation, uh, we are taking the pattern that we have used so far and uh, we challenge ourselves in the way that can we do it twi twice or uh, three times as fast uh, this time compared to the earlier operation. Yeah, because you're the, the first time around, I think you had to kind of think a lot about the challenges that you, uh, as you go, I think as well, right? So you were, you were constantly uh, looking to get, uh, how, how, do you, how do you get more out of it uh, from a warehouse perspective or from a hub perspective, right? Yes, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that uh, you need to learn if you set up a new warehouse or if you set up a new city operation. Mm. And what happens is uh, if you start a new warehouse, then in the beginning, uh, all the kind of processes that you that have worked in an earlier warehouse, you try to adapt to a new warehouse, which is sometimes a little bit bigger, has a different kind of a floor plan or a different kind of uh, a different kind of a setup. Mm. So if you then uh, have actually done this for a few times, then uh, you have seen all different types of layout, different types of sizes. So that becomes more kind of an operation that you can better plan. So what we now do and aim for in our warehouse in um, in Rotterdam is that we can scale it up. Uh, at least twice as fast as we have done this with the earlier warehouses. This is a pretty challenging uh, ambition, but this is something uh, which is very much also in our DNA, that whatever we do, we want to do better, either kind of, uh, mm, in a, yeah. let's say, technically better or process-wise better. Yeah, so what, what do you think the biggest challenges were in, in the first, maybe in the first warehouses or the first hubs that you had? What, 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 what do you think the biggest ones were? Well, on the operational side, obviously, there was a lot of uh, stuff to learn. And uh, that starts already uh, with uh, learning at all how to do the operation. Mm. Our background is more on the tech side. So that means uh, we have a software background. We know roughly how to do e-commerce. We do uh, have some background in e-marketing. Doing an operation, running a warehouse is, has been a pretty new experience for it's us. Totally it's different, a, yeah. That is something which we definitely had to gain some experience. The second one is, and that is more linked to the technical side, is uh, there's a lot of uh, software running in such a warehouse uh, from all kinds of different angles. So there's an inbound uh, process that needs an application. There's an outbound process, which is, for instance, the picking. There's a, uh, the planning of the uh, purchasing that uh, needs to be organized, etc. So this is something where we also didn't have too much understanding in the beginning. We have started with third-party software, but at some point, you just realize that uh, the software has limitations to a point that you can't customize it any further. Mm. And then you insource this, and then you customize it to the level there that you need it for your operation. Yeah, so you create everything in-house then, right? Correct. So uh, as of now, uh, we have now all operation, every software, every bit and byte that is running in our warehouse is now written by us. When we initially started, uh, um, we had very little software running originally from our side. So we started uh, with uh, third-party solutions in order to gain also a little bit more practical experience on what are the real requirements. The real challenge from a technical angle is while you're learning a business process, you need to learn also what is the right software that you need to build. Mm. You don't know it is upfront. So it is a kind of a learning cycle, even to learn how not to do something as already a good learning experience yeah because uh, i i can imagine i mean when you start up uh, you don't know what to expect right you probably uh, some things that you didn't even think about will just happen right exactly yeah exactly. I've, I've seen that, i've seen that as well on our side uh, we've been building a, an application as well and uh, if you told me like three years ago that what we are what we have created now uh, that it would be like this, like it is right now, I would have said, yeah, no way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. totally this different. Is, in, in the end, uh, the kind of the process uh, that you're going through here is, is a little bit like uh, climbing. So you're going uh, usually uh, to the next, uh, to the next uh, mountain and then from this mountain you see more or less the next challenges, uh, which you couldn't have seen from the valley where you started. But if you're on the first mountain, then you will see actually the challenges on the next mountain. Mm. And then you go uh, step by step. Um, what I was saying about the insourcing, that can also go, and that's pretty interesting, the other way around. So what we see is that some, of, uh, let's say, software solutions become more commoditized, uh, mm. that you can actually get better 
from uh, from a market provider or from a standard uh, solution provider mm. and that you don't have to build yourself. So an example for this is, for instance, our WhatsApp solution that we built initially uh, in 2015 ourselves. There was not a, a suitable solution at this point in time. And now in 2018, three years later, there are uh, quite a few solutions available that can work uh, pretty well out of the box. And uh, if we see this kind of commoditization, uh, then we actually are pretty open also to throw away of what we have built and go to the standard solution. Yeah, it's logical because you need to get your focus on what you're actually doing. Your yes. your your business is not building a WhatsApp solution, right? It's it's yeah. Of course, you use it. Uh, you use it in your business, but it's not it's not your core business. So the the, the interesting thing that is absolutely true. Uh, what is? Let me add one additional point to this: uh, the core competencies and uh, something where you wanna be really strong changes also a bit over time. So mm. when we initially started, um, the first thing, uh, if you start such a business, is to prove demand. Mm. So is this something what customers really want? So therefore, there was a lot of focus on building a convincing app that customers love, building a customer service that uh, customers uh, really will be hooked to. As we are going along, as we are getting bigger, uh, the real question is, can this become profitable? Can you reach a size uh, with your business where also the unique economics makes really sense? So therefore, there is a significantly more uh, focus now on the entire warehousing and uh, distribution and logistics processes to organize in a way that if you take the size as we have now, or if you're 10 times or 100 times bigger, that also the unique economics makes actually real sense. Yeah, so wh- what are the margins for you in, in, that, in that sense? Because you don't do the, you don't do the li- delivery costs, so uh, you have to make money on the products and on uh, the process being as smooth as possible. So in practical terms, uh, nobody is uh, actually earning uh, money completely from the uh, delivery uh, delivery costs. So yeah, the, of the way as yeah. uh, businesses are Logical. organized is there's always a cross margin. And, mm. um, and then you have a kind of two options. Either you are a little bit, um, either you uh, focus on uh, uh, more marketing uh, uh, elements and then you have more, uh, a more simpler distribution model and then you can live with the fact that you have to ask for the uh, distribution costs. or you uh, put a little bit of a brain in the game and uh, you think about a distribution model and you organize your fulfillment processes in a way that you actually don't have to ask your customers for uh, for delivery costs. And that is the approach that we have been taking here. Mm. And th- there's a lot of data, I think, um, uh, based on what people... Uh yeah, based on what people buy from you, and, and uh, do you also help people in that process as well by uh, maybe applying things like machine learning or, or whatever? So for us, um, uh, what is very important for us is that we are applying quite a bit of machine learning on all angles. So obviously for the consumer proposition, but also for the logistics proposition. The principle that we apply here is number one: uh, that all the data that we are using in such a uh, machine learning algorithm should be actually benefiting our consumer propositions that should help the customer to find the right products. The second thing is we want actually help the customer to find as quickly as possible the products. And the reason why this is important uh, and what we learned here is that if you can make the shopping experience easier, if you can make the shopping experience faster, then customers will actually buy more often with you. It doesn't matter really, or it's not really the case, or not immediately the case that customers will buy uh, more, let's say a bigger basket, but say buy more often. And that is exactly the kind of habit-breaking behavior that we uh, want to that we want, want to apply. And if you're talking about habit breaking here is the biggest competition that we as a business see is not so much other online propositions, but actually the behavior that customers are, have been going for many, many years to a physical supermarket. So that means if you are a family 35 years old, then you have been already going for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Every, uh, let's say twice or three times yeah. per week to a physical supermarket. So the real, let's say the real competition or the real pattern that you need to break in such a game is that you don't go again automatically to a supermarket, but that you uh, use an, the online uh, version of the uh, supermarket, and that's the picnic. Yeah, and that's 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 crazy to me because uh, you're uh, in such a business that so everybody is so used to it. Everybody's so used to going to that to that store, and I think that the the other the other as you said the other sectors within that e-commerce thing uh, are already there, right? So they're already 
we don't we don't usually go to an electronics store anymore to get get my electronics. So if I want to buy a laptop, I'm not going to the store. I'm just going Correct. to buy it online. Right? And you buy you buy your laptop also just twice per uh, uh, every other year. Yeah. yeah so course. in this sense, um, the pattern, let's say the learned pattern or the behavior, is not that deep yeah, because yeah. you're not doing this so often. You typically go through a buying cycle where you actually look at two different kind of options. You're trying to comparing different options, and in this kind of um, in this kind of comparison uh, cycle, you also then consider an online version, or you start with the online version, and then maybe uh, you consider also an alternative offline version. If you actually buy uh, groceries, then what you do, and there's a big difference, is you buy week or week de facto uh, close nearly the same products. Mm. So if you compare what you buy this week, then you buy. Uh, this is roughly 80% of what you have bought also last week, independent on how hipster you are, how whatever <laughs> kind of uh, special products you, you're looking for, you buy uh, very much the same uh, products week over week. And in this kind of um, uh, deeply learned uh, behavior or pattern, that is something which you need to now transform from an... Uh, let's say, the, the traditional physical world to uh, the online world. Yeah, and that, uh, that's, that's, that's the most crazy thing to me is that, um, I, as I said, I can't uh, shake the feeling that you, uh, if, I'm, if I need food or whatever, I, I'll just go to the store, right? That's, that's, that's so logical. But on the other hand, when I think about it, if I w- want to order it now, when, I'm, when I really think about it, it's really cumbersome to go to the store. I, I kind of hate standing in line. Right? I mean, if there is, a, a, for example, a register where you just scan it and you go out the door, I'll pick that one over, over standing in a line every day, right? Um, to me, uh, what, what, what's really interesting there is that uh, the, what, what's actually the, the, the... So the mechanic is actually that you need to be able to say, okay, I need groceries, so I'm going to go to picnic. That's actually what you want to achieve, right? Well, that is the kind of the link that you will um, uh, that you build up then uh, over time, and that is something what uh, has happened also in other industries. If mm. you think about, uh, for instance, um, uh, the media industry, then uh, for a long time, if you want to consume media, then actually you switched on your TV. So that is mm. a kind of a pretty standard uh, kind of. Um, behavior that you have applied so what then happened with netflix is uh netflix was also in the in the business of breaking this very traditional pattern mm. by offering something which is significantly better and, and on yeah you had obviously a kind of an on-demand proposition you had actually choice uh it just was said you could choose uh, what to watch and not uh, a tv director etc so that was uh, a convincing proposition in our case it is indeed the convenience argument so you don't have to stand in a line. You don't have to go yourself in a supermarket. But it is also the price component and obviously also a kind of a component that this kind of, um, this kind of repetitive behavior that you had to do in the past, that is something what, um, what is pretty easy and pretty likely to be taken over by somebody else if you give it to somebody else. Yeah, and you try to to get people to do that by just making it so as simple as possible, right? To get those uh, kind of things. Certainly. So uh, it has to be uh, seamless. It has to be uh, as simple as possible to be uh, to have a really a good adoption by customers. Yeah, and. and th- that yeah, is sure. that is one of the points where um, if if let's say the onboarding uh, the, the onboarding journey has to be uh, as as smooth as it can uh, go. So mm. therefore, if you're entering the shop, you n- should also in the beginning find the right product. So we're putting a lot of thinking also what is actually the journey that the customer should go through until um, uh, he is adopting the pattern to buy uh, online with Picnic. So we have put uh, quite a bit of thinking on what is actually the journey from uh, placing the first order, so that means zero to one order, and then also going to the second order, going to the third order, and then up to the point of the fifth order. What is interesting and what we learned is that if a customer has placed uh, five orders, then de facto it is a customer for a lifetime. Then he has actually uh, adopted the new uh, way of uh, doing their groceries and then uh, he will do it again and again. So therefore, our metric, and that is is the main thing what we are looking into, is how can we 
um, how can we bring a customer who comes the first time in contact with our brand up to the point that he places five orders with us? Yeah, there's so many mechanisms in that process, though, where, when you think about it. So uh, the first thing I have is that I interact with your website. So your website has to be fast. I have to find the things that I need to, uh, that I need to have fast. Uh, as you said, probably most of the things that you bought the last time will also be the same for the next time because... I bought fresh things, so they cannot be there for longer than a week or whatever. Uh, and then you get the whole process of, okay, uh, is my delivery on time? Uh, is, uh, is, that, is that runner the same runner that I had last time? Maybe I, I liked him very much or her very much, and I want to have that person, uh, I have to see that person again, right? So there's a lot of mechanisms within that process that... Uh, I didn't think the the tipping point would already be at five deliveries, right? In in essence, um, uh, if we are talking about five deliveries, mm. then you had already more touch more than five touch points with, uh, exactly, with the picking yeah. brand. So what typically happens is that before a customer actually places the order, then he in average opens the app five times and just adds uh, maybe a, a few products to the uh, to the app and I forgot something. Again. Yeah. And the reason why this is the case, uh, and that is something what we also learned and surprised us a little bit, is that in the past everybody had in the fridge a small uh, sticky note where he was making notes uh, on uh, what to shop for whenever he goes to the next time to the supermarket. Great, so if yeah. you're running low on butter, then you put this in the list if you run low on milk then you put this on the list and that was the way how everybody has been building their shopping list what we now see with our app is in exactly the same way the app is used where customers are actually opening the app they're running have been running low on a product now they put this in the basket what they don't do is they don't immediately place the order but they just close the app and then uh, maybe at a later moment when they run low on another product or when they just uh, remember that one of uh, the products need to be also added, then they will add the product. Hmm. So this is one point. But the next point is obviously also, and this is the kind of another touch point, is when we deliver the product to the customer. So this is even if there's just one order, placing the order and then delivery moment are kind of two different uh, touch points where we... Uh, we actually can present the brand to uh, the customer where we have a little bit of kind of an, a nice protocol how somebody uh, presents the first time to a customer. If somebody places uh, 25 orders of the customer, then he gets a small goodie, uh, ah, many cool. more things. If he is a year with us, uh, if he is actually... Um, if all kind of moments and all kind of events uh, are celebrated together with the customer to make him... Uh, also, well, to celebrate uh, that he is along with us. So, are there, are things like voice interesting to you as well? Uh, so, voice control on, for example, Alexa or Google Home and stuff like that. Is that something that's that's? I think that could be interesting for you guys as well in the in the future. Because, as you said, normally now someone has to get their app. They want to add the the, the thing. So. Uh, say for example I, I want to say okay uh, add bananas to my picnic shopping list or something like that is that something that, that you think is interesting in the near future certainly so this is something what actually we have been already working uh, over the last uh, one and a half years on uh, where we sure. built a prototype uh, with Alexa mm -hmm. to actually build up precisely this functionality and that came from the observations that we saw that customers are actually uh, placing their orders in steps whenever they run low on products. And that is something, if you think a little bit further about it, then the moment when you run low uh, low on a product is usually the moment where you prepare food, where you prepare a meal. Mm. So that is anyway a kind of a moment where uh, you um, you not so easily can take your phone. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah, you yeah. see then is you certainly can't use uh, a desktop or a laptop because that is even less convenient. Doesn't make but sense. But you yeah. see, you see that also a mobile is maybe not the perfect solution. So their voice could be indeed the kind of the next step. Obviously, there are a little bit of technical challenges. Uh, Alexa is not currently here. There's Google Home here, but this is pretty fresh. There's pretty little uh, adoption currently in the society. So we will see how this pans out over the coming uh, coming years. Mm. But uh, I'm pretty optimistic, and uh, we are definitely ready uh, to get also hear a voice interface uh, up and running yeah because the, the i think the adoption is is not or it's it's uh, not there yet because it's just because of uh, the the thing that it's just in english at the moment and you don't have the dutch adaptation or the dutch language in alexa and and google home and stuff like that so uh, what what's interesting for, to me is also um 
a little bit about a future vision. So, what do you think uh, the picnic is going in the, in in the future? So, I'm th- I'm thinking a little bit long term here, but uh, do you think that that things like uh, maybe deliveries when someone's not home is going to be interesting so uh, yeah a couple of pretty exciting uh, exciting directions where we are looking into so what we started uh, recently is an uh, is a pilot together with uh, uh, Wekamp and Sand where we actually organize the return logistics and this comes from a pretty simple observation so we are always going full to uh, our customers because we bring all the groceries and then we go empty back so what we then realized is uh, we have now this large fleet of vehicles, but in essence, we are using it only 50% when we're mm. going to a customer. We're going empty back. So then we thought a bit about what can we do actually with the return uh, time and the return okay. utilization. And uh, we started now the return logistics um, pilot where we are taking back, for instance, also fashion. When somebody orders uh, fashion or uh, any other product, with uh, some of the other e-commerce uh, parties. So this is one of the areas where we see uh, a big potential. So another of the interesting challenges is obviously that we are also looking quite a bit into uh, automation of warehousing, which is a huge uh, challenge, which is pretty exciting. But obviously, if you move from a manual operation in an automated warehousing operation, where you have all kind of robots and convariables and yeah. uh, automation and tools um, uh, set up, then uh, that is something where um, where we uh, where we are building up a lot of technology. And the third one, and that is more on the supplier side. What we see more and more is that if customers are doing their shopping over the app, then the packaging and the branding that the apps uh, that the products are currently using, which is tailored to a uh, traditional physical supermarket is no longer that relevant mm. so what we see is as an example is if you buy cornflakes then uh, typically you buy uh, usually one third of air so that is makes sense in a supermarket if you want to place it in a specific way but yeah, if you actually yeah. uh, if you actually buy it just if you just want to buy the product then it would be sufficient to actually deliver this to a customer with less packaging and more efficient packaging and that is something where we are looking pretty intensively now with our suppliers into. Yeah, because the the suppliers are actually uh, just food companies that you buy from, right? So the suppliers are typically uh, the companies uh, for each type of category. We have mm. different kind of uh, suppliers, and uh, with those suppliers, we are working together uh, on on let's say the challenge: how can we provide the most fresh and the most, uh, let's say, the best experience for, uh, for our customers. Yeah, do you, do you think that uh, traditional supermarkets as they are right now are uh, are going to slim down? So there's a lot of lot of supermarkets uh, in the Netherlands. I think, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's a lot, I think. Um, do you think that's going to slim down uh, with the getting it more popular, so getting Picnic more popular and stuff like that? Do you, do you think that's going to happen? So let's, let's, let's look a little bit to the market. So in yeah. essence, uh, Netherlands uh, has um, one of the largest densities of supermarkets in Europe. But by itself, if you look to, um, let's, say online super, let's say, online grocery shopping versus offline, then online is still pretty small. Yeah. And if you look ahead, then um, the online movement that is ac- without any doubt uh, happening and online will become bigger, it will not completely uh, pull and push away the uh, offline supermarkets or the, or the traditional supermarkets. What will happen indeed is that the objective and uh, the uh, um, the function of the supermarkets will change uh, a little bit. So for the purchases where you actually buy for a couple of days ahead for the families, the kind of the bigger purchases, these are probably the purchases that will move uh, to the online one or to the online options. If you look to the uh, on-demand uh, option on your way home that you just uh, switch into the supermarket and then uh, buy just uh, some food for the evening, that is something what will uh, stay probably as it is now. Mm. Yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about that. The reason I'm asking is that you've seen it in electronic stores, right? You've seen the, the whole shift to uh, e-commerce where everybody's buying uh, electronics right now. Um but there are also some companies, for example, Cool Blue, uh, that that do it differently. That they have still have a store, but actually, almost everything that you buy is online with, with them. So, um, do do you see do you see it, uh, do you think that it will be a 
maybe a picnic store or whatever like that. So you have like the 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 kind of hybrid. I think I think it's kind of a hybrid thing. So you have e-commerce, but you also have a brick and mortar store. So we. So it is absolutely true that um, uh, companies like Cool Blue have physical stores. They started as online-only proposition. Yeah. And those kind of domains, things like a physical store where you can uh, make maintenance, where you can buy a couple of uh, fast-moving products, are actually uh, in a real option. What we see in our domain, in our business, is, is that there is so much demand for the online-only uh, proposition said this is not really playing a role for us now. Mm. Uh, I can't see it too far in the future. Obviously, course, that is yeah. something which which could play at some point a, a role. But for the time being, uh, uh, there is so much ground uh, that we can win uh, with the online-only proposition uh, that we will focus uh, purely on this one. Yeah, so uh, can, you actually, uh, can you actually fulfill all the demand that you want to demand that you want to do right now because i've i've heard some uh, ask people uh, ask me a lot of things also when i t- said i was going to talk to you was uh they want to sign up but they kind of have you have like a waiting list or something like that how does that work so uh what's the the reasoning behind that so indeed if you're signing up then um you um in, in, in cities where there is significantly more demands and that we immediately can fulfill, mm-hmm. we had to make a decision. And the decision is the following. Um, there are mainly two options. You say either service quality and uh, is very important. And then what you say is you just ramp up your, um, you just allow uh, the amount of people to your store that you can actually also fulfill. So mm. therefore you say, whoever is in the store uh, gets also a perfect service and uh, for the other um, the other people need to wait a little bit until we have enough capacity built up. Or you go the other route where you allow more people in the store that you can actually fulfill and then you actually need to dissatisfy uh, those customers. Mm. That is something what we have seen uh, in other industries uh, and with, uh, in other retailers and that is a kind of a model that we definitely don't want to do. Mm. So therefore... We have a very um, very high expectation on ourselves on how we provide our service to customers um, for the customers that are in the store, for the other for the customers that are still on the waiting list. We want to actually uh, get them as quickly as possible in the store. So therefore, we are working pretty hard on uh, building up a capacity. Mm. This in this world where we are here operating a very physical world. Uh, there are more physical limitations and recruiting limitations on building up the capacity. Just to give you an example, mm-hmm. if you uh, grow an operational business where you have 2,000 people in operation, we go week something like uh, 5 to 10%, then you need to, if you grow 5%, then you need to hire 100 people. So that means if you actually want to hire 100 people, then you need to have a pretty strong recruitment operation. You cannot hire much more, and that's the main reason. So... In, um, in this world, um, you can grow uh, something like uh, 5%, 7%, uh, up to 10% uh, week over week, but much more is simply from an operational angle not really possible. Yeah, so the, the problem really here is uh, you can probably scale the technology. That's not the, the biggest issue. It's the, the people that's actually running the operation. That's the biggest problem that you guys have. So what we have is um, is a kind of a hybrid model between a digital or an, uh, an online proposition and a physical proposition. Mm. With an online proposition, you can, uh, especially if you're using cloud providers, you can just add a couple of additional servers, especially horizontal scaling is pretty simple. So that is uh, something what we, what we have uh, set up and that is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. The physical operation to scale up uh, you obviously need to buy cars, you need to buy scanners, you need to recruit the right amount of people. That is something which is pretty hard and pretty serious work. So for us, scaling up is more a physical game than actually a digital game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, when you think about uh, when we talked about the process, uh, to me, uh, as you explained, there's a lot of steps that you go through. Um, and to me, I would say that the technical side was uh, probably in in most cases would be for a lot of companies the hard part right and not the actual people part so i'm 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 surprised on in one end that uh, of course the people uh, are the the problem at the end uh i think i think it was more i thought maybe it was more uh, from a technical standpoint so uh 
getting everything through all the orders through to to um to the warehouses to the hubs and stuff like that i thought it was more so that. the interesting part is that um i wouldn't i wouldn't say that the people are the problem but it is in essence all kind of all parts of the physical operation indeed yeah. there, there are people involved but there, there's also the physical assets yeah. that um are probably the bigger limiting factors than the uh, digital components the reason why you don't hear this uh, in many other cases is that in many more traditional companies, the digital limitations are bigger uh, yeah, yeah, and they can't exactly. move as fast, yeah. that you don't see the underlying physical uh, limitations. So the physical limitations, if they could actually scale up their digital operation week over week 5%, then they would come uh, probably have the same physical uh, limitations also. However... They can't scale up so fast on the digital side, and therefore you never really experience this type of uh, limitation on the physical side. Yeah, so uh, actually you guys are happy with the growth and you want to have that growth, but uh, something else is limiting you you to get to that full potential that you want to have. Uh, and I think that's that's uh, that's something I always say. I, I always say people don't scale in that in that respect, right? So uh, I can create a, create software that can scale beautifully and <laughs> you always have the capacity that you need and, and stuff like that but on the other hand uh people you, you cannot get enough people for maybe for uh for getting it to that level that you want to have well probably the story is a little bit more differentiated because yeah. what we did is um um said things like the onboarding processes the training processes uh, can scale pretty well so in yeah, the yeah. beginning obviously you had a couple of trainers which were uh, just showing or um, how to do a couple of processes. Now you have trainings material. Now you have other uh, processes that make the onboarding pretty simple. So, for instance, in the recruitment side, then if you introduce digital signatures, uh, then obviously uh, the entire HR processes become uh, pretty simple. Also, the, the material handling uh, processes. But there are actually still a couple of, lim let's say, challenges that are um, limiting the overall growth. And what we learn is that in such a kind of a pretty complex business where you have digital components and a, a large amount of physical components, then you need to grow your business on all ends uh, more or less in the same speed. Hmm. So which means that on the one hand, you need to grow your warehouse capacity, you need to also grow your distribution capacity, and you need to grow your, um, your uh, customer service capacity as a kind of a three pillars which are de facto uh, linear related to the uh, overall uh, operational size. And what happens is, obviously, if one thing is not growing fast enough, then you will not, uh, you will not be able to, um, to grow as fast as you want. But what is even more interesting is, if you grow one side too fast, then you have overcapacity and you get also unhappiness on uh, those kind of angles. So mm. that means, for instance, if you grow the capacity in a warehouse or in uh, another operation part too fast, then you have sufficient capacity, but you don't have to work for the people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, therefore, yeah. the people also become unhappy. So that is a game that is actually requires very careful uh, alignment between all the different components. Yeah. And do you think your model would scale to other cu countries as well? So do you think, for example, let's take Germany uh, because it's uh, X amount bigger than than the Netherlands. Um, do you think it would it would work there as well? Just so hypothetically. Germany indeed is uh, six times bigger than the uh, Netherlands. We have done already the step to Germany. So mm -hmm. we launched in Germany earlier this year oh, sure, in yeah. March. So where we are now active in uh, in a couple of cities in the western part of Germany, and what we see there, and that is uh, actually something pretty cool, is that we see a similar growth behavior, even a little bit faster than here in Netherlands, also in Germany. Hmm. Obviously, there are differences, um, uh, but basically the general um, general scaling that we see on the uh, supply chain and the fulfillment side is uh, pretty similar. Yeah, it works the same. Uh, I, I would. I, I thought it would be different. I thought it would be different in the sense that uh, what you do see in the Netherlands, I don't know if you agree that, but uh, it's the adaptation of new techniques, so the adaptation of uh, kind of things that uh, we do on the internet and stuff like that is... Uh, in in some cases, uh, 
a lot faster than other countries. So I, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to be the, the case in Germany as well. So what do you think that? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that? It's... I agree. I agree. So certainly, Dutch society is uh, is pretty open to new technologies, yeah. and yeah. Um, that is, is something which, in general, is true. If we look to the specific customer segment of Picnic, then actually uh, the target audience that we have is busy families. And uh, there are many uh, customers that have not done significant e-commerce shopping before. Yeah. So that is uh, something uh, uh, which is pretty comparable to a country which is maybe not that progressive as, as the Netherlands. And uh, Germany is definitely uh, comparable in this respect uh, mm. to the customer base that we have here in Netherlands. Okay. So I would like to wrap up uh, the question I always ask, the last question uh, of uh, of uh, uh, our conversation. So what are you most proud of? So what are you most proud of since you started that picnic and uh, the whole process that you went through? So there are probably a couple of things that are that we did um, pretty well along our journey. But what is uh, what makes us most proud of is the kind of the large set of uh, happy customers that we could uh, create as we were growing. Um, in such a growing business, it is pretty easy to uh, create a 10 happy customers. 100 happy customers is also okay. But if you then have uh, close to 200,000 customers and uh, all of them are giving a very raving uh, feedback, then this is definitely something what made us uh, very much uh, proud. The other thing is uh, building up such a tech business in yeah. an area where, uh, which is very much driven by operational needs and operational requirements is a pretty big challenge. So this is something which I have not seen in this form uh, for myself. So that's also kind of a pretty interesting new experience, which I'm uh, pretty much proud of, of uh, what the team and myself have achieved here. Cool. Cool. Thank you for your time. Thank you yeah. for being here. Uh, you can find Picnic on picnic.nl and I think.com as well. Do you have .com? Picnic.nl. We have and the picnic.app domain. So this is a new ah, cool. domain, uh, yeah. which is especially for the app, uh, the apps. So we are an app-only supermarket. So in this sense, it makes a little bit more makes sense, sense to have uh, <laughs> the picnic.app domain. Okay, cool. Um, for the listeners, you can uh, find uh, Bits vs. Bytes on uh, bitsvsbytes.com. Uh, we're on uh, Spotify. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts and also on SoundCloud. Um, follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we're all uh, bits vs bytes. Uh, thank you for listening, and until next time.